the power of the Lord is here to do a work in your life today. Amen. I've come to this place in expectation today. Amen. We're going to be reading from Acts chapter 3, a story that I'm sure most of you know. And if you don't, then you're about to hear it. I mentioned in Sunday school a few weeks ago, as we were talking about building on our salvation, the challenge of growing in our faith. And I mentioned that I felt challenged in this area in my own life about my faith. Not that I don't have faith, but am I growing in faith? So today, I'm going to step out in faith today. Amen. I feel like Peter, I demonstrated the one Sunday, I'm, I'm still holding on to the boat a little bit. Still holding on a little bit because those waves look a little stormy out there. But I believe the Lord is here to do something in our hearts and lives today. We're going to preach about faith today. Amen. And I know God's going to do something in this place. We're going to read the story from Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto him, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said the familiar words I'm sure we could all say, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the hand, the right hand, and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were all filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. I want us to pray this morning. I want us to pray that the Lord would have his way, his spirit would have his way. Scripture tells us whatever we bind on earth will be bound in heaven. I want us to bind any fear, any doubt, any unbelief in this place. And I want us to lose faith in His Spirit to have its way today. Let's join together in prayer. Lord Jesus, we come before You. We come before You thankful and honored and privileged to be in Your presence, which we feel so strongly in this place, Lord. And God, we want Your power to descend upon us, God. Lord, we want Your power to manifest itself today. Lord, we come against any fear, any doubt, any unbelief. Lord, we bind it in the name of Jesus. And we loose your spirit to have its way that there would be a liberty, a freedom, Lord. Lord, that there could be miracles and healing, salvation present in this place today, God. We believe you and trust you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We praise your name today, God. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. Come on, let's worship him for just a minute before we're seated. I thank you, Lord Jesus. I exalt you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You may be seated this morning. Amen. I believe a miracle is in this place today. Amen. I believe healing is in this place today. I believe salvation is in this place today. <laughs> this story we read finds us following Peter and John as they make their way to the temple for prayer. We do not find uh, the peculiarity in this story within the fact that they were on their way to prayer. Because while they were Christians, we find that 
Judaism and Christianity were still so intertwined that it was usual for them to go about their former Jewish traditions and habits, such as going to the temple for prayer daily. But within this story, we do find a few things that I would like to pull out. In fact, there's a lot of things in this story, but three things in particular this morning as I was reading this and the Lord began to challenge me. And there's not much of an intro. We'll just get right into it. How about that? Because the timer's already going. It says that he was laid by the gate beautiful. And as I began to look at that, I wondered what was so beautiful about this gate. What was it that caused this gate to be so beautiful? And while there's a lot of speculation about why this was the gate beautiful more than the other eight gates of the city, historians state that other gates were overlaid with gold and precious stones, but this was the only one that was probably overlaid with Corinthian brass, giving it a shine, giving it a rarity that none of the others had. And so it was called the gate beautiful because it had this particular uh, 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 metal wrapped around it. It was also the gate through which people entered the temple was why it was called the gate beautiful. It was a place that had the most direct access into the temple of God. If you were on your way to the temple and wanted to get there quick, it was through the gate beautiful that you would go. It was the closest gate to the temple with the most direct access. In fact, the most beautiful gate in the city, the gate called beautiful, was the gate into which you access the presence of God, in which the presence of God could be obtained. And I think it's no mistake that it was the most beautiful and it accessed the presence of God. And I tell you this morning that there was no more expensive or more, no more beautiful price paid for my life and in my life for your life than was paid by Jesus Christ to enter into His presence. By His blood, a, may, a way was made for me that I could enter into His presence. It was not possible before. You see, there were gates around the temple that could lead you to God. And we read in the Old Testament there were law and there were sacrifices. But I want to tell you today that with the words that Jesus uttered on the cross, it is finished. There was a new and living way that was made open for you and I into the Holy of Holies, into His glory. It was a beautiful gate that was made available for you and I. Let me tell you, there's nothing more beautiful than when someone enters into salvation. Than when someone walks through the gate of repentance. There's nothing more beautiful Beautiful than someone finding their way into the presence of God and entering in. Luke tells us, in fact, that there is joy. There is a party thrown in heaven when one sinner repents. That there's excitement. There's jubilation in heaven. How much more should there be in my life when I find repentance in my life? That I once was lost, but now I'm found. That there was a debt that I owed that I could not pay. And yet when I enter into the gate beautiful, I receive redemption. I receive restoration. I receive something that I could not do on my own. This man was laid by the entrance to the temple every single day, yet he can never enter into the temple. That gate was not open except to certain people. You see, through that gate, there could not be the disfigured. There could not be the lame. There could not be the disabled that entered through that gate into the temple. That's why when Jesus said the words, Whosoever will, let him come. We realize what a miracle it was that he accomplished through the cross. He wasn't saying to those who who would normally have access. He wasn't saying, to those who are Jews, to those who have it together, but he was talking to you and I, the dismembered, the disfigured, those whose hearts and lives were ravaged by sin, and he said, it's to you that I'm talking, that if you are willing, you can come through the gate. If you are willing, you can find the presence of God. I'm thankful one day that I walked through that gate. 
I'm thankful one day that I heard those words, whosoever will, and I knew it was me. I knew that I could enter into a place and find rest and salvation in my life. And I want to challenge you today. It doesn't matter what sin has done to your life. It doesn't matter what circumstances have done to your life. It doesn't matter if you sit here today and you feel disfigured or or disenfranchised by society or what you've gone through. I want to tell you today that the gate is open for you. That if you are willing, you can receive salvation in this place today. It's available for whosoever will. You see, the challenge, the irony of it is this man said, we don't know how old he was, but from birth he was lame. And he sat there day after day after day right outside of the presence of God. And there's people that are no less different today. You may come to church. You may be around it. But I'm challenging you today, don't just be around the presence. Don't just be around the temple. Don't just sit nearby and expect to get something that just comes in and out of it. No, you need to enter into the gate today. You need to enter into a new birth today. You need to repent. You need to be baptized. You need to be filled with the Holy Ghost today. It's available. It's open. It's for you today. Whosoever will, let him come. There's no hindrance today. There's no qualification today. You can enter if you're willing to come into his presence. Why don't we thank the Lord for just a minute? I'm thankful that I can enter into the gate called beautiful. I'm thankful that I can enter into salvation. And again, I challenge you today, don't just be around the presence of God. Don't just be near the presence of God. Don't just be satisfied with coming to church. But I challenge you today to find salvation in your heart and life today. I challenge you, you may be far from God. You may feel like you're not too far from God. You may have experienced God before. Or you could be like this man and you've never walked in your entire life. But it doesn't matter, the gate is open for you today. The second thing we find in this story, we find in, in the verse, uh, in, in chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 4, it says, And Peter, fastening, oh, sorry, fastening his eyes on us, said, Look on us. And in verse 5, it says, And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something from them. This man had something. He was lame. He didn't have a whole lot to offer. He had to be carried to the temple every day. But this man had an expectation. He had an expectation. Peter and John had faith, we understand and know that. They also had expectation because they reached down and picked the man up. But this man had an expectation. He was expecting the wrong thing, but he had expectation in his life. And this morning I'd like to challenge you, and perhaps this has been the challenge to myself, is there's a difference between expectation and faith. Now there's a fine line that we draw and there's an intermingling there, but there's a difference between expectation and faith. I'm going to be lame before this is over. There we go. The lame man needs to sit over there. There's a difference between faith and expectation. You see, the same word that was used of this man is expecting, uh, was expecting something from them is the same word that, that is used when it tells us, you and I, that we are to expect or eagerly anticipate the return of the Lord. That's the same word that's used here. That the way that, that this man looked, the lame man looked to Peter and John is the way that you and I are to look towards heaven for his return. Now I want you to understand that my expectation does not make the Lord come back. Just because I expect him to return today, it doesn't do anything about whether the Lord will or won't come back. But you know what it does do? It does change me. 
It changes me. When I begin to expect something from the Lord, it changes how I perceive circumstances. It changes how I look at things. It changes how I enter church. Now, faith may believe that He is returning. Now, so we have to have faith that He's going to return. But I can have faith and not have expectation. I may believe that the Lord is returning, but I don't expect it to be today. You see, I can believe He's coming, but expectation changes my present circle. It changes my present attitude. It changes how I view things right now. I can believe He's going to return one day, but my expectation says it might be today. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please, to please Him, for he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Now I believe while this verse is talking about faith, we can draw a fine line between faith and expectation in this verse. You see, faith kicks in when I'm confronted with the fact of who God is. It says you must believe that He is, and my faith kicks in and says, I believe that He is. My faith is confronted with a decision. I must decide whether He is or He is not. I must decide, my faith decides for me, whether He's a healer, whether He's a rewarder, whether He's a restorer, whether He's a deliverer. And faith is a baseline. That, that faith, faith tells me that despite my circumstances, He is a healer. Faith tells me that despite what's going on in my life, He is a way maker. It tells me that despite the fact this may be happening, He is a provider in my life, no matter the outcome. Faith tells me that I can walk through anything and He remains unchanged because my faith is in the fact that God is and God does not change. So that means if he was a healer, he still is a healer. If he was a way maker, he still is a way maker. If he was a deliverer, if he parted the Red Sea, he can make a way in my life because God is. But see the challenge, and I think maybe, maybe this is just for me, maybe I'll, I should have just stayed home and looked in the mirror and preached myself because I believe that God is a healer. How many of you believe that? I believe that God can make a way, that He can deliver, that addictions are nothing for God, that, that there's no sickness too big for God, that there's no one that's too far gone for God. I believe that. And I believe He's coming. But my expectation makes it present. <laughs> so while I know God's a healer, am I expecting Him to heal? I know that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. So while I may, but my faith says I believe He's all those, but my expectation says I know He is that, but God can do it for me, and God can do it in my life, and God can do it now. You see, that's the difference. I may walk into church with faith that He's a healer, and that He's here, and all this stuff, but you know what? My expectation says I can leave healed today. I can leave saved today. I can leave delivered today. What's your expectation in this place? I know you believe that He is, but He is a rewarder to you. Do you believe that He can reward you in your life? You see, I don't want to just come in this place with faith, but I want to come in this place with expectation that God is able to do exactly what He said He was going to do, and He can do it in my life. He can do it today. He can do it in this moment. 
Daniel chapter 3, in verse 16, we find the story of the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they're face to with, face, to face with King Nebuchadnezzar. And they give this answer that says, And they answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which which thou hast set up. Their faith said it doesn't matter the outcome. God's still God. He's still a deliverer. He still is all those things that we said he was. But you know what? My expectation today is that he will save me. He will make a way out of the fiery furnace today. He will do something in this moment. I'm challenging you today to not just have faith. That's necessary. You must have faith. But I'm challenging your expectation today that God isn't just a healer, but He can heal you today. That God just doesn't save everybody else. He can save you today. He doesn't just put a a letter in the mail for somebody else. He can make a way in your life today. He can deliver you today. You see, those three Hebrew children, they, they pointed out something that I see in my life. <laughs> they, they made a statement, and I think I'm just about to the point. It says, and we were not careful to answer thee in this matter. <laughs> you know, I like to sit around and think about stuff. That's all I like to do, just sit around and think about stuff. You know what? I started to get careful after a while. You know what I do when I start thinking about miracles and God doing something, and, and not just that He can do it, but God doing it right now? I start to hedge my bets. I'll, I always like to add, but if not, and that's true. That's true. I don't base my faith on whether God does something or doesn't. I know He's true. But just in case, I think I'm tired of my own life of, being, of giving careful answers. I'm ready just to step out in faith and say, Lord, I'm not going to be careful about this. Lord, you can do it, and I'm claiming it now. Lord, you can heal now. Lord, you can deliver now. Lord, you can do it right now in my life. I'm not going to be careful. I know there's a bunch of reasons why it can or can't happen. But, Lord, I'm not careful in this moment. I'm answering that you can do it. He's able to deliver us. They had expectation, but if not, it doesn't change who he is. They had faith in their life. I'm challenging us, first of all, to believe that He is. And I think there's a lot of people in this place that believe that He is. But I'm challenging you this morning to believe that He will do it in your life today. That means I can say, I'm leaving this place healed. I'm leaving this place different than the way I came in. It's not a question of whether God can or can't do it. But I'm expecting God to do it in my life today. My expectation. Then there's three words that are spoken. Spoken by Peter and John. Three words simply say, look on us. Look on us. I don't know about you. That's kind of egotistical if you ask me. Give me money. Well, we're all good at that. We can all ask that question. And they say, just look at me. Look at me. How many of you like to say, look at me? You know, you ask someone how you look and you're standing there like this. How, how do I look? <laughs> well, you don't normally look like that. 
get all twisted in. Or you go someplace and you, you think the way that you normally are won't work there, so you act a little bit different. We don't normally like people to look at us. You like to slip into the room and be like, oh, when did you get here? Oh, I've been here for 20 minutes. Now, I guess there are some people that like to say, look at me when they walk in the room. There's a few of those. So this message isn't for you. You've already said it enough. They say, look on us. Three words. Those words challenge me. They challenge me. See, I wonder what would happen in my life if I could simply muster up enough Holy Ghost that when people present a need to me, I could simply say, look on us or look on me. See, because there's people we encounter every day, every single day that look at us with expectation. Now, their expectation may be misplaced. They may be asking for something else. But we know what their real need is. And God has placed something inside every one of us to meet that need. The problem comes when I simply have to say, look on me. Because I don't like to say, look at me. Now, we understand, we understand what Peter and John were saying. They weren't saying, look at me. Look at my physical body. We understand that they were saying, look at us, look at the power of God inside. We understand all that, but it doesn't, it doesn't make it any, any easier when it comes to my life and putting those words into my life. It doesn't make it any easier. But Peter and John, they met this man. He asked for something. He looked at them with expectation. And first of all, it helped that they couldn't meet the need. They didn't have any money. It's real easy when someone asks you for money to say no when you don't have any. It's when you've got the 20 in your pocket and you're trying to figure out, you really, you say, do you really need that money? <laughs> I've only got hundreds. No. <laughs> you don't respond yes or no, but you think of some other answer. You see, they didn't have anything, so it was real easy. And I know sometimes people ask us for stuff and, and, and we, can, we can give them an ear to listen to. We can give them advice. We can do all these things. But we know down deep inside that they don't need another word of counsel, that they don't need another ear to listen to. And I know there's moments and times, but what they really need is the power of the Holy Ghost to change their life. And I wonder what would grab a hold of us. I wonder what it would take for us to stir something within us that we could say instead of that moment, yes, it'll be all right, or yes, this or that, if we would simply say, look on me today and give them what they really need in their life. I wonder what would happen if I could get enough faith in what's inside of me that the potential of miracles would no longer scare me. You see, because we look for all these opportunities and places and, and times for, op for miracles, but the miracles happened in their daily, everyday business. In fact, it was somebody that I guarantee they had passed before. In fact, it was someone that could almost be guaranteed that Jesus Christ himself had passed before. He sat at the gate of the temple every single day. I wonder how many people in our lives are crying out for something. They're expecting something. It's a wrong expectation. And we walk by them every day. And we're praying, Lord, lead us. Lord, guide us. And they're sitting right there in our life just waiting for somebody to say, look on me. I've got the answer. I've got his power. I've got his spirit. I've got what you need in your life. 
I wonder what would happen if I felt enough Holy Ghost boldness to take somebody's hand physically or, li- or, or, or in an emotional or whatever way that needs it and allow the power of God to be transferred through me into that person. I wonder what would happen to my workplace if just one time I would say, look on me. What would happen to those people that I've been witnessing to and reaching for? You see, miracles are not part of the past, and I know they happen every day, and I know a lot of times that we dismiss things that we should be praising God for a miracle about. I understand that, but I believe there's more miracle power in us than we give ourselves credit for, and it's not because of us. It's not because of who we are, but it's because of the power of the Holy Ghost that dwells inside you and I. There's people that are crying out in in our everyday lives that are crying out in this community just looking for someone with enough boldness to say, look on me. I think it's time for you and I. I think it's time for the apostolic church to be unafraid for people to look on us. I know we may think that we're weird and all this kind of stuff and I don't want people to look at me. But you know what? We've got what they need. We've got the power of the Holy Ghost. It's not us. It's the power that's working in me. Second Corinthians chapter 10 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You see, those two phrases in there that capture me, I know we, we know the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but it says to cast down every imagination and bring into captivity every thought. You know what's keeping me from the power of God working in my life and through me are my thoughts are my imaginations what are people going to say what are people going to think what, what's going to happen I don't know if I can what will happen if I reach out nothing happens I'm going to cast down those imaginations I'm going to start bringing those thoughts into captivity I'm going to start obeying the voice of God in my life I'm going to start obeying the Holy Ghost in my life if it says to do something I'm going to bring my thoughts into captivity and follow the voice of Jesus in my life I wonder what what would happen if we began to bring every thought into captivity? Those thoughts of whether I'm worthy enough, those thoughts of whether I, if I'm qualified enough, or that's not my place, or I don't have it in me. I wonder what would happen if we could just bring those thoughts into captivity because it's those thoughts that hinder us from uttering those three words, look on us. Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6, Then he answered and spoke unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. We understand that it's not my might, or it's my power, but it's the power of God. It's the Spirit of God. And I have to get to the point where I'm comfortable with the Spirit working through me, and not just dwelling in me. It's not enough for me just to have a residence for the Holy Ghost, but it wants to work through me. It wants to get out of me. It wants to get in other people's lives but see I get so worried about what others may say if the spirit does what it wants through my life I get worried about what people may think I get worried about my reputation or if I act a certain way but you know what it's nothing that I can do anyway it's nothing that I can say anyway I can witness till I'm blue in the face but it's only by the spirit of God that that person will be drawn it's only by the spirit of God that anything will happen in their life so I'm going to let the spirit throw, flow through me I'm going to let the spirit work in my life Paul says in 1 Corinthians, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Sounds like you and I a lot of times. <laughs> How many of us that describes our witness, really? 
We're there in weakness, fear, and trembling. Oh, God. I mean, even when they say, <laughs> they come up to us and say, what must I do to be saved? Oh, God, I wonder what they'll say. I wonder what they'll do. What will happen if I tell them? Well, they just ask you. Ask for God to open the door and show me things, and they, they smack me, and the, they're, they're punching me in the face saying, what must I do to be saved? I'm like, God, just show me somebody. Because it's my thoughts, my imaginations. You know what? It's time to cast those down. It's time to bring them into captivity. Paul says, My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. I'm ready for a demonstration of the Spirit and the power of God in this community. It's not going to be fancy words. It's not going to be theological arguments. It's going to be a demonstration of the Spirit and of power that's going to shake this community, that's going to shake this church. And I'm ready for the Spirit to have its way in my life, in this community. Oh, come on. Come on, it wasn't Paul's preaching. It wasn't his great message. It wasn't his Sunday school lesson. It wasn't his wisdom and his arguments. And Paul could debate with the best of them. He came with one thing, a demonstration of the spirit and power. And here's why. People can argue with your speech. People can argue with your wisdom and the points they make. But they can't argue with a miracle. They can't argue with a demonstration of the spirit and of power. They can't argue with the lame man who sat there for years. And now all of a sudden he's leaping and walking and praying. Praising God. They can't argue with blinded eyes that were open. They can't argue with marriages that were mended. They can't argue with addictions that were broken. We need to come to Salem in spirit and in power because the community can't argue with that. 1 Corinthians 2.5 says that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. My faith does not stand in what man says. It doesn't stand in the doctor's report. It doesn't stand in what the counselor says. It doesn't stand in anything that man can come up with. My faith stands only in the power of God. I know that he can, and I expect him to do it. When I can't see the way, when no one else can see the way, my faith states that he is still able, and my expectation says he's going to do it in my life. He's going to do it. For me, Hebrews 11 says, my faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. My faith is the evidence of the unseen. My faith is. My faith is the evidence of its healing power. My faith, <laughs> sorry, my notes are really messed up right here. <laughs> Autocorrect must have just had a heyday right here. It says, my faith is the evidence of his helming power. And of his retiring power. How many of you are ready for a power retirement? The Lord's going to make a way for you to retire. Claim it now. <laughs> Everyone go in and quit your job tomorrow. I'm retired. I'm expecting it. <laughs> but my faith is, is, is the evidence of, of whether he can heal or not. My faith is the evidence of whether he can restore. My faith is the evidence of whether he can deliver. And James challenges us. He says, faith without works is dead. In fact, he basically says, he says, show me your faith. Show me, you say you've got faith, show me your faith. If my faith is the evidence of the unseen, show me that faith. 
Demonstrate it physically. Don't just say it's some inward thing I have that in my heart I believe he's a miracle worker. In my heart I believe he still does things. No, what happens? He says, show me your faith. I'm ready for my faith to be seen in my life. I'm ready for some evidence of the unseen. I can't see his healing power. It's, it's something that I can't explain, but I'm ready to see a healing. I can't see his restoring power at work, but I'm ready to see a restoration. I can't see salvation. I can't grab a hold of it, but I'm ready to see salvation in somebody's life. I'm ready for the power that I say that's in me to be evidenced in my life. I'm ready for some evidence of of the power found in his name. I believe that there's all power in the name of Jesus. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. But I'm ready for some evidence of the power found in his name. I'm ready for some evidence of the stripes that he bore. I'm ready for some evidence of the redemption that he purchased. I'm ready for some evidence that one day he led captivity captive. That death, hell, and the grave no longer have dominion. I'm ready to see that evidence in somebody's life. And I'm finishing up here. Hebrews chapter 11, we know is the chapter of faith. And you've heard it many times. We know that there were some who died. We know that there were those who were tortured. We know there were those who wandered about, homeless, helpless. I realize that my faith in God is not dependent upon my immediate situation. That if He doesn't heal me, it doesn't change that God is. My faith is separate from my expectation. I'm going to believe no matter, no matter what I expect in my life, I'm going to believe that He is. I feel challenged in my own spirit, in my expectation. Because I, I, I know what the passage is saying and what it's challenging me to do. That the outcome doesn't determine my faith in who God is. I understand that. But you see, I think too many times in my life, I I allow it as an out for my expectation. I allow it as an out for my expectation. You see, because in that chapter of people who were cut in two, who were tortured, who all kinds of things happened to, they didn't accept deliverance. All of those people that that happened to, I understand why it's in there. I understand the whole context of the passage, but I want to remind you how that passage starts out. It starts out that by faith, Noah, uh, Enoch was translated. By faith, Noah saved his family. By faith, Abraham obeyed and journeyed into God, not knowing where he was going, but God led and directed every step of the way. It does tell me that by faith, Sarah did receive her promise. That by faith, Moses left Egypt. He left sin in his life. By faith, the Israelites did make it through the Red Sea. That by faith, the walls of Jericho did fall down. That by faith, Rahab was saved. That by faith, Gideon and Barak and Samson defeated armies. That by faith, kingdoms were subdued. That promises were obtained. That the mouths of lions were shut. That by faith, the violence of fire was quenched. That the sword was escaped. That by faith, the weak were made strong. And their enemies were turned. That by faith, the dead were raised. And so I understand that my faith is not conditional upon the outcome. But my expectation says, He's able to do it. My expectation says, they didn't all die. My expectation says, they didn't all die sick. 
My expectation says they weren't all just, uh, they weren't all not delivered. But my expectation says, you know what? Some of them did make it through the Red Sea. Some of them did escape it. Some of them did subdue kingdoms. Some of them did obtain promises. And so my expectation this morning is that God will restore my promise. That God will give me healing in my life. That God will make a way in my life. You see, I allow it as an out for my expectation. Because while my faith is not determined by the outcome, my expectation takes a break. And I can enter service, and I can enter in and say he's a healer, and nobody be healed and leave believing that he's still a healer. That's fine. He still is a healer. But my expectation is never challenged. He's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that I can ask or think. Let me tell you, what was the last time you asked for something? What was the last time you thought of something? Because that's my expectation. I don't always get what I ask for, but that doesn't mean I quit asking. I do know certain things, and my faith says that, and I believe that God is in this place today. And I believe God is here to do something. You see, because it's not enough for us just to talk about it and, 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 and get excited about what God can do, an expectation in our life, I believe that God can do it right here and right now in this place. You see, I've come in this place with faith, but I've come in this place with expectation today. In fact, I prayed that God would heal somebody today. I prayed that God would save somebody today. And it's not a question of whether He's able. He's able to do it all. The question is, will He? Will He do it today? And I'm believing that God will do it today. I don't know if you enter this place with faith. I don't know how you enter this place, but I'm challenging you today to, to stir up something within you, to stir up an expectation. I don't know whether you're here sick, whether you've come up to the altar 50 times. I don't, I don't know what's happened in your life, but I'm believing and I know and I'm expecting God to do the miraculous in this place today. Let me just ask you this. You see, because, and I know that miracles should not be relegated just to the church house. I understand that. That story's about taking it outside. But let me just ask you this. If we can't see miracles in the church house, what makes you think you have enough to do it outside? If we're all gathered here together of like common faith, all of this Holy Ghost power here today, I believe God can do it today. I believe there's enough inside this place for God to do something in our life. I want us to stand this morning. I come with a verse, another familiar verse, Isaiah chapter 61. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He might be glorified. He's here to do that today. I'm expecting him to do that today. I want us real quick just to look at the rest of the story. Acts chapter 4 verses, through verse 28, or through chapter 28, not really. The last verse that we read tells about the crowd's reaction to the miracle. 
It states they were all filled with wonder and amazement at what they saw. You see, while we're so worried about what other people will think, all the crowd saw was a miracle. They didn't see Peter and John. You know what they saw? They didn't see Peter and John saying, oh, look at us. Oh, look at those people. They saw a lame man, a man that was lame from birth, walking and leaping and praising God. You know what? When you do it right and let the Holy Ghost do its work, they're not going to see you anyway. They're going to see the person who used to be addicted and is now clean. They're going to see the marriage that was on the rocks and it's mended back together. Amen. They're going to see the chronic offender in and out of prison who suddenly has walked out of prison for the last time. Come on. They won't see the sickness. They're going to see the person who was terminally ill and God made a way and they're whole again. They're not going to see you. They're going to see the depressed person that's suddenly filled with joy. They're going to see the tormented filled with peace, the broken healed, the hurting made well, the lost finding their way. They're not going to see you anyway. They're going to see the power of God. I'm ready for this community to be filled with wonder and amazement, not at me, not at this church, but at the undeniable transformations that are taking place in people's lives. I'm ready for God to do miracles in my life. I'm ready for God to do miracles through my life. I'm ready for God to do miracles in this church, in this community. Come on, why don't you clap your hands? Come on. Lord, we come before you. Come on, I believe the Lord wants to do something in this place, and we're going to do something here right before we have our altar call. I want us to pray a simple prayer. If you've got the Holy Ghost, Scripture tells us to stir up the gift within us. I know we talk about talents and all kinds of stuff, but the first gift I got was the Holy Ghost. I think it's just time we stir up that gift, stir up some Holy Ghost in us. So we're going to pray that the Lord would stir up the gift within us. And then I pray, I want you to pray that the Lord would increase your expectation in this place. Amen. Because I, I don't feel comfortable. I didn't, I didn't preach this message. I didn't, I didn't feel to preach this message just uh, so we could all leave. But I believe the Lord has something He wants to do in this place today. Whether you feel it or not, whether you feel goosebumps or not, God wants to do something in this place today. And so I want us to pray. I want us to pray that the Lord would stir up our Holy Ghost and I'll pray that the Lord would increase our expectation in this place. Lord Jesus, we come before you right now. Lord, we're thankful for your word. And God, we want to take your word and mix it with faith. And Lord, we believe that the miraculous can happen. And Lord, I ask you to stir my Holy Ghost within me, God. Lord, the power that you have put inside of me, God. I ask you to let something begin to stir that I'm not content with, with it just dwelling inside of me. But Lord, you put it in me for a reason. There's power that dwells in me. There's miracle-working power that dwells inside my life as I let your Spirit move through me, God. And Lord, I pray that you would increase our expectation in this place right now, God. Lord, we know that you are able. We know that you're able to do all things. But Lord, we believe right now that you will do it today. Lord, that you will heal today.